What is it like to be in business in 2024? From South Dakota Public Broadcasting, today is Friday, February 2nd. This is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, we'll talk workforce and supply chain strategies and succession plans. We've got a look at small business in South Dakota. Legislators discuss autonomous vehicles in their own words as they debate bills in peer. We talk technology and memory care in rural South Dakota. That's coming after the news. Plus, a bit later in the hour, a program that helps high school students make their way in the world after graduation. We'll talk with the student leader. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. News is first. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Some new tech is helping South Dakotans with dementia give their minds a workout. We're heading back to the village of Harmony Hill in Watertown for a look at their memory care community. Joining me on the phone is Sarah Whitney, memory care nurse supervisor at the village of Harmony Hill. Sarah, welcome to In the Moment. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Lori. I want to ground this conversation first with how we would want to be treated if we were in a memory care facility because so many people are are unnerved by the idea of dementia or Alzheimer's and maybe even saddened by it. But uh, you approach this with a real sense of dignity and respect. Talk about that before we start talking about this new technology, please. Sure, yes. Um, Just because somebody has dementia or they're living with Alzheimer's, that doesn't mean that they can't be treated well. Um, everybody wants to be treated as a human being, and that's what we strive to do. They may have memory problems, but they're still that person that you know deep inside. You know, that's somebody's mother, father, grandfather, sister, spouse, and we want to treat that person with dignity and respect. Yeah, how important is um, the kinds of engagement activities to sort of all around well-being and, you know, uh, you know, fighting off any continued deterioration of a memory. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to do anything that we can to bring that quality of life to that person. Uh, We want them to have that happiness and contentness as much as possible. All right, let's talk a little bit about technology in this work. Some big advances and some new things to your facility. Start with the uh, Topher Tafel. How do I say that? Yeah. Topher Tafel? Yep, that's, that's right. correct. Topher Tafel. <laughs> okay. um, so, what that means is magic table. Um, so, I can first of all just kind of tell you what it is it is an interactive game console. And it consists of a projector that you hang from a mount um, from the ceiling. And it has a speaker. It has high-resolution sensors so that it will display, that projection will display down onto a table or down onto the floor. The sensors will pick up very slight movement of your hands or your feet. It's super user-friendly. You just have a remote control that will go through the different programs that it has. You can use it day or night. You're even able, even able to select, you know, if you have that on a dark surface or a light surface so that that um, 
you're able to see those games and things more clearly on that area. All right. So how do residents interact with the table then? So what we do, we have it set up with this large table. You can do this one-on-one with a resident. You can have a group of people out there. You select a game. Like I said, very easy with this remote. There's different, different features that you can use on the on the Tover Taffle, there's different levels. There's levels, you know, that are very, very simple, and they just get a little more complex as you move up the levels. Mm-hmm. So you can pick a different game for a different situation. You pick your game, and you just start interacting with with the table. Is it? Are you making selections based on personal preference of the user, or are you making selections based on some kind of, you know, clinical goal? You can, it's, it's very easy to customize it. So we're, as we're getting used to this table and learning it ourselves, we're trying out the different games and the different levels to see what our residents here in our memory care are responding to and what they enjoy. So can I just give you some examples of some of the games? Yeah, please. Okay, so like we have a couple games that are, like I said, are like real simple. So we can put out um, on the table, just project down a koi pond. That is one that we use quite a bit. We just have it on the table. It looks like fish swimming around in a koi pond. And the residents can just watch that. Or if they do reach out to that table, the fish, if they're swimming by them, those fish will kind of scatter away from them. It has those speakers so that we can turn that volume up. And when you do that, it makes the sound of the water, the water trickling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they have that cause and effect of what they're doing. We have um, leaves that they can scatter with their hands. And it does. It sounds just like the leaves scattering when you're outside in the fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have one with kites and they will hear the wind gust when they move those kites around on the table. So that's an example of some of our more simple games that we have. Are you finding engagement to be high? How are people responding to it so far? Yes, everybody really loves our table here. We have seen so much interaction and a lot of the residents that are more withdrawn or they don't normally come out for activities or want to be in that large group, mm-hmm. their curiosity is just peaked when they walk by and see it. And we'll see them approaching the table and just reaching out and trying to do things with it. And then we can get them more engaged. We get a group of people and we'll play like a soccer game where they're playing soccer across the table with their hands, moving the ball. Mm-hmm. and. I I can be back in my office and I can just hear the laughter out there. (laughs) And it's just amazing to see how these people are um, just opening up and engaging more. They're happier. I see a lot of the calming effects of it with people that are more anxious. So that's really good to see. Yeah, I calmed down just when you said koi pond. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) It is. It's very soothing. And even yeah. for the staff, yeah. it's hard to staff. walk by the table and not want to play. <laughs> yeah, not say hi to the fish. All right, tell me, uh, yeah. let's do one more, and that's HUGS. This is an acronym. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So the HUGS is a sensory companion. So it has weighted limbs. It has a very, very soft body, so you just want to embrace it and hug it. It has um, a heartbeat. You can program it in 
to have music playing so you can play their favorite music or you can just play that soothing, quiet music and you can turn on that heartbeat and they can just feel the heartbeat with they, when they snuggle with this. Uh, we do have a picture of it on our Facebook page with one of our residents that has one of those and she adores it and it works so well for her to calm her down. Mm -hmm. She does have periods of high anxiety um, and just getting anxious and we give that to her and it, and it just soothes her. It's just a comfort mechanism for her and to see that change in her is is wonderful and even her family you know they've commented on that too that it just it makes their visiting so much better when they see her and she's a lot calmer and mm. they can visit better do you know anything about the science behind that why those things kind of work it feels like it's taking you back to childhood or it's taking you back to motherhood or or like what do you know what's happening there that is so effective yeah, you know, I think a lot of the things that go on in your brain, it's just triggering those memories. Mm -hmm. You know, they might not be able to communicate some of these things, but you you can see that it does bring up memories and that they, you know, they kind of understand it on their level. It's it's just amazing this technology is has made such a big impact and we've only had this here, you know, just over maybe about a month now and the the atmosphere here is just wonderful to see that any advice or tips for uh, other people who are listening from memory care units or nursing homes and long-term care facilities across the state about you know where to seek out new ideas new technology where to connect with other facilities what do you want to leave us with today i guess is what i'm broadly asking uh -huh. yeah well, you know, like I I learned about this when I was doing some continued education. I went and did some certified dementia practitioner training, and this was brought up to me. Um, so I just did research on it. It sounded so fascinating. And then we got this generous donation here with somebody that had heard that we were looking at this, and they covered the cost of this. So my advice is just to, you know, continue to reach out and look Look at that research and try to find things to better your facility and make that impact because, you know, we want to be innovative here out of the village. We want to, you know, try to use some more technology instead of using medications for some of the symptoms that we see. So anything mm -hmm. we can do to improve our residents' lives here. All right. We've been checking in with the village of Harmony Hill there in Watertown, Sarah Whitney with the Memory Care Community. Thanks so much, Sarah. We look forward to our next conversation. Okay. Thank you. During the legislative session, lawmakers often make rules or laws related to how we use or interact with technology. And in some cases, the laws are not only dealing with new technology, but also wrestling with the question of who's in charge of that? Which governmental entity is allowed to make rules for their region in these areas? Well, in their own words, here is edited debate from the South Dakota House of Representatives on a bill to establish regulations for the operation of automated vehicles in the state. House Bill 1095, having had its second reading, is up for consideration of final passage. Are there any remarks? Yes, Representative Chase. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. First thing I want to point out is the title. Established provisions for the operation of automated motor vehicles. Just because we think of automated vehicles, we all assume that they all must be electric powered. That's not necessarily the case. Most of them are internal combustion engines, so we want to make sure we get that clarity right away. My involvement in this particular bill goes back probably to the fall of 2022. Currently, there's 34 states that have some sort of autonomous laws on their books right now. South Dakota is not one of them. Vehicles right now, if they wanted to come to South Dakota and operate, we have no laws, no regulations, no restrictions on their ability to run on South Dakota roads. It's a safety issue. Autonomous vehicles are safer on roads than vehicles driven by human drivers. Why? Because these vehicles abide by the speed limit. They can censor what the speed is in that particular zone that they're in. They don't send text messages while they're driving. They don't post and take photos and post items on Facebook as they're driving. And most importantly, they don't drink and drive. This technology exists. Many of you are driving probably a level one, two, or three vehicle. This particular bill addresses level four and level five vehicles that are being driven in South Dakota. Law enforcement has nothing to arrest them for, no restrictions, nothing on the books to restrict them from running in South Dakota roads. House Bill 1095 provides the foundational legislation that will be added on to in years to come as these vehicles become more prevalent and more issues are arise that we need to make sure that we take care of. I encourage your green vote on House Bill 1095. Thank you. Are there any further remarks? Representative Overwick. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Question for the bill sponsor. Did you come up with what the cost to our state will be on upgrades and infrastructure? Did you come up with any figures there that we'll have to spend? That was part of our discussion through the entire work group. Roads right now in South Dakota are equipped to handle this right now. There won't be any required additional striping on highways and byways. This is fine to work. This sensory technology works as of today on the roads. No additional expenses to stop lights. Roads would be required. Well, I was the one legislator that was in the committee that um, joined the South Dakota Peace Officers Association and the Teamsters in opponent testimony in this, in this bill. My main question of this bill when it started was the simple fact of infrastructure. My question is this, in, in, in this bill in section 11, I'll just read here, it says, no state agency or political subdivision may prohibit the operation of fully autom autonomous vehicles or otherwise enact or keep in force rules or ordinances that would impose taxes, fees, or other requirements specific to the operation of fully autonomous vehicles. Why'd they put this in there? Why would we tell everyone in South Dakota, from commissioners to cities, you can't charge a fee? The people that voted you here to represent and protect them, those are the people who are gonna get their checkbooks out so companies like Amazon does not have to. Now we can set this bill, it's fine, this isn't earth shaking, but I'm telling you this, section 11 of this bill that's bad wording, and it did not have to be in there. Please, vote red on this. Further comments? Representative Peterson. You said that the 
Highway Patrol, the Department of Transportation, and the Department of Public Service all had a hand in crafting this bill. Could you tell us if they had any objections to the final form of this bill, please? Yes, they were all involved. They were all at the table. They were available to discuss their concerns. I asked them, what would happen if we didn't have a bill? And they all had this glazed look. We have no ability to enforce anything. We have no regulatory control over these vehicles one way or the other. Law enforcement is in favor of this. Representative Bartles. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today I'm going to drive home. And I'm going to drive home through, I think, six actual communities, seven if you count the city of Hollaburg. I'm not sure it's a city anymore. Can you imagine if uh, you had an autonomous fleet and you had to buy seven, seven licenses to drive from Pier to Watertown? Can you imagine if you all had to buy a license plate from every city you drive in? We need one system of licensing and controlling vehicles in our state. You cannot have multiple systems. I understand local control and the need for that, but sometimes you've got to have one system. So I think that's why that section is in there about local control. It just makes a lot of sense to me. There may, may be some reasons to vote against this bill, but I don't think that's one of them. Thank you very much. Representative Chase. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you, everybody, for the vibrant discussion and debate. If you're on the fence, let me tell you why you should vote green. Voting green sets establishments and sets the foundational legislation moving forward. It gives South Dakota the opportunity to regulate, license, tax, and do what we need to do to make sure that these vehicles are allowable and safe as we commute back and forth. I think that this is a great opportunity, and for most of us in the legislature, how many of you have done updates on legislation that's been drafted in years past? We deal with it every day, every session. I made the comment earlier today, this is foundational legislation that our kids and grandkids that come to this legislature will be amending and changing. We need to pass this now for dealing with level four and five vehicles that will travel on our roads and highways in the future. I urge your green vote and your support. Thank you. Hearing no further remarks, the question for the House is final passage of House Bill 1095. Those in favor of vote yay, those opposed nay. The clerk will unlock the voting machine and the members will proceed to vote. Mr. Speaker, there are ayes 43, nays 25, excused one. Having received a majority vote of the members elect, House Bill 1095 is hereby declared passed. You can find archives of full debate online, sd.net. More in the moment is up next. We're going to ask the question, what is it like to be in business now in South Dakota? We've got small business owners from across the state joining us. You're on listener-supported SDPB Radio. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, it is, let's step into the shoes of small business owners in South Dakota with a peek at day-to-day -day operations and at the unique challenges of today's economy. Ellen Harmon is a Lakota small business owner in Mission, South Dakota. She and her sister co-own RHL, Inc., which includes Rosebud Building Products, and she's with us on the phone. Ellen, welcome. Thanks for being here. 
Hi, hi, Lori. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. All right. Let's connect Mobridge in. Emily Moser owns and operates River's Edge Learning Center. That's a child care center in Mobridge. Emily, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Lori. And returning to the program, Jamie Wood. Jamie is the South Dakota District Director of the Small Business Association. She's with us on the phone. Uh, Jamie, welcome back. Thanks for being here. You bet. What a great day to talk about small businesses and wonderful to have Emily and Ellen joining us as well. Thank you, Lori. I am legitimately excited right now. So let's start because as I look at the the profiles of these businesses um, and the towns that they're in and the, the way they're embedded into a community, it's just such a South Dakota story. So Emily, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about River's Edge Learning Center, what your business is like and how you serve the community of Mobridge. So my my husband and I actually bought the daycare or the learning center about a year ago, um, and we bought it because we were searching for childcare in Millbridge. Um, as many people know, across the state, childcare is a huge issue, and finding quality care for your babies is also another issue. Um, so we bought the the daycare about a year ago. Um, I applied for the expansion grant that the state released um, in May. And with that funding, we were able to remodel and redo the entire daycare, um, including adding in a small bathroom that expanded our site six children. So we can serve 36 kids and we operate at capacity almost every day unless someone is sick. Um, We are now in the process of looking at expanding because of our wait list. So we have about 40 families on the wait list looking to get into the center. um, And that's included in Selby area, Campbell County, um, and then as well as like McLaughlin and Timberlake too. We have some families that come from there. So we serve a very large area here in Millbridge. Um, as most people know, it's a pretty rural community. And yeah, we're just looking to provide the highest quality child care to our youth. And a waiting list of 40 families. Tell me, you know, you said that you, you kind of were looking for something and then you said, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be the community leaders and the business owners that do this. Did you have a background in business? Do you have a background in, in um, early learning, or did you just jump in because there was a need? Uh, we just kind of jumped in at <laughs> first, and uh, I have my bachelor's in elementary education, so I was actually working at the at Mobridge Pollock School District. Um, I had recently got my master's in May of 2022 in clinical and mental health and school counseling. So I was serving as their alternate instructor teacher. So I was helping kids gain credits that they missed in the past or if they failed the class, I was helping them recover those credits. Um, and so when we got the daycare, I finished the year out because we bought it in January, finished the school year out and then took over full time in May. And I've been the director ever since and just working as hard as we can to provide, like I said, the best education and child care in our community. Yeah. Ellen, I want to bring you into the conversation. Tell us a little bit about your operation there. Yeah. So as you said, my sister and I co-own RLH Inc. And um, it's located on the Rosebud Reservation in Mission, South Dakota, which is, you know, a very rural area. Um, and we have a hardware store, lumber yard, equipment rental center, we really try to be able to service, you know, um, people who, whether it's do-it-yourselfers, doing a little project, or 
general contractors doing a big industrial building or federal government entities, tribal housing authorities, different tribal programs, um, and really try to keep business local so that people don't have to travel, you know, whether it's to Pier an hour and 45 minutes away to get materials and just create, gen, you know, generate um, economic uh, opportunity here um, in Mission. So, Did you and your sister have a business background or a building and building products background? How did you enter into this field is what I'm wondering. Yeah, well, it's a long story. We actually incorporated the business. Into, where do I start? In 2005 with my um, siblings. There are six of us. So uh, it's been a long and winding road, and we've been um, part of the business since the inception. However, we did, you know, buy out the other owners, our siblings, and a few other people in 2021. So um, it's rather recent that the two of us are the sole owners. Um, neither of us have backgrounds in business. Um, other than being, you know, business owners for 15, 20 years, you know, it's a lot of experience. Um, I do have a degree in uh, cultural resource management from the local tribal university. Uh, Shout out to Big Alaska. All right. Let's talk about some of the challenges and how you're facing it. I want to start with a supply chain with you, Ellen, because I think we talked about almost nothing in business other than supply chain gaps during the pandemic, along with workforce issues, which we'll get to the workforce. But uh, what are you seeing from a supply chain standpoint that there are still hiccups or challenges? Have things smoothed out? You know, what do you think is essential to to talk about today regarding supply chain? Yeah, you know, for us in the building materials kind of uh, industry, it's 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 settled out. Uh, You know, it was pretty wild there in 2020, 2021. But things have definitely, you know, we're able to get things in as we order them. Nothing's delayed like it used to be. Um, But as a result, you know, we have really increased our um, materials on hand uh, just so that in case there is a shortage, you know, we do have a little bit to kind of cushion that. So, yeah. Um, Emily, tell me a little bit about workforce challenges. Um, what are you seeing at River's Edge as far as hiring staff? Um, so I think that child care, like just being an issue is that families can't afford to pay child care. And so then they're choosing to stay at home. Um, what we've done is try to give our staff the option for a very reduced rate um, that they pay for their child care so that they are able to come into the workforce because finding quality workers is so hard. Um, Or we'll hire somebody and get them trained, and then they decide that the job isn't for them. So that's also been a challenge to navigate through as a first-time business owner and just not really knowing, like, what I'm I'm doing here. (laughs) Um, And so we've now, like, incorporated some working interviews um, where when we're interviewing someone, we actually have them step in the classroom with the kids and see how they interact and see if that person would be a good fit for our children and if they're a good fit for the center, as well as us being a good fit for them. Um, I think that allowing like the benefits that we can, like a reduced rate for childcare, um, we try to offer paid time, ho- paid time off and holiday pay. And so with those things, um, we've actually been able to create a beautiful work family um, at the center. And I am so thankful for all of our employees there. Yeah. Jamie Wood, I want to ask you a question about support for these kinds of business owners and entrepreneurs. 
um, both of them, and we can ask them to tell their personal stories about, um, you know, reaching out for services with SBA. But from your perspective, Jamie, how is the Small Business Association in South Dakota really trying to figure out how to support people who are doing this really important work in their community for infrastructure and child care and, and creating jobs and building the economy? The, you know, these listening to these two fantastic women, small business owners, it's really, it really warms my heart because it's indicative of the, the solutions to these gaps in the market space that women are bringing to the table. About 43% of our small businesses, so 43% of 90,000 almost small businesses across South Dakota are owned or operated by women, owned by, owned means at least 51%. And uh, the Small Business Administration has been a part of the journey for both Emily and Ellen. Uh, Ellen is a recent graduate of the SBA's Thrive CEO Leadership Cohort that just graduated in December, so about uh, just a little over about a month and a half ago. And that was a six-month cohort where she was able to really dig deep into the strategy of her business and work on it instead of in it, you know. And so I think that was really conducive to her leadership growth. But then for Emily, she's uh, leveraged the assistance of the SBA-funded uh, Small Business Development Center uh, out of Aberdeen. And it's and we have seven of these centers across. And so it's been great for her journey as she makes decisions, you know, leadership decisions about what to do uh, going forward with the concept of the, the daycare in the Mobridge area and uh, surrounding area. But I think that, you know, what the SBA brings to the table for training and counseling, you know, access to lending, preparation to see those lenders, uh, preparation to respond to the supply chain, whether it's in federal or other levels of government contracting and uh, exporting, you know, you name it, we have a lot of assistance that's available and it's free the small business owners to use. It's paid for by federal taxes already. So why not, you know, take the, the step to put these great business tools in your business toolkit and leverage them for those leadership decisions that you need to make yeah. as a business. Yeah. Ellen, congratulations on going through that, that program and that cohort. Give us an idea of what that journey was like for, for you and maybe some of the ways that your mind shift, your mindset shifted as you talked with other people in the cohort, Ellen. Yeah, thank you. It was such a wonderful program, and I'm so thankful to Jamie and really facilitating it and just being so great at it. She was like our cohort mother with our, you know, apple juice pouches and snacks at all of the <laughs> meetings. So, um, and she's just so knowledgeable and just believes in businesses so much. And um, something that I got out of it that you know really helped me is just feeling empowered and feeling confident as a business owner, um, you know, and being able to be the, the networking and the people that I met in that cohort is just the most priceless thing. I think as a business owner, it's so important to be able to lean on others and have, you know, mentors and people who you can really talk to who understand the struggles of being a small business owner, you know, the struggles and the triumphs, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. there's good and bad, but it, it's, it was just such a great program. I, su- I suggest anybody who's curious, check it out, SBA Thrive program. Uh, they do it annually. So, yeah. All right. Well, well Jamie's uh, pretty good at coming on and uh, giving us an update for when those things are open. So we'll, we'll keep that line of communication open. Um, Ellen, what do you want people to know about 
supporting small business? Because sometimes I think we we just say, you know, it's a good idea to support a small business and it can be hard to go into, you know, the real guts of that and why it matters. You are you are doing that and working in that and on that every day. What do you want community members to know about where they do business and why? Yeah. Um, well, when you support a small business, you are supporting members of your community and that money is staying local. You know, when we have a profit, we reinvest it back in the business and we expand services that we can offer to the community. You know, that's the power of supporting local businesses. You know, it's not going off to some billionaire, um, you know, buy another yacht to generalize into extremes here, but you know, and and really kind of like building the character of your community. You know, the more small businesses are there are in your community, the more unique and the more character your community has. And it's just so great having people come into the store and talk shop and, you know, having our regulars and just feeling like it's, uh, you know, just it's a really great feeling having a small business that you can go to um, in your local community. It's just it's so important. Yeah. And, and Emily, um, instead of buying your, your next yacht, you're working on <laughs> figure, <laughs> figuring out this idea of what happens in childcare in my community um, with, you know, succession work and, and what is the broader, you know, role of this kind of business in Mobridge. Tell me a little bit about what you're working on now toward the future. Yeah. Um, so so recently we have created a nonprofit called Lake Oahe Learning Academy and that is going to absorb River's Edge Learning Center. Um, in the last year, working with Grow South Dakota, the small business association that Jamie was talking about, we've learned that daycare is not really a profitable business, um, but it is something that every community is in desperate need of. Um, so in order to, <laughs> to help our business out a little bit and help the community out, we have created this nonprofit and that will absorb like I said, our daycare and the after-school program, currently known as Tiger Kids. Um, and then in doing that, we will house all of the child care under one unit. Um, I do want to piggyback a little bit off of what Jamie said, that yeah. Grow South Dakota has been such an amazing resource to help us navigate through some of those financial challenges and barriers that we've seen um, and really like opened my eyes to the income and outcome of our business. Um, when we think about charging $4 an hour for a kid, which is some families would think that that's really high. Um, you have to think about the employees that we're paying and what it costs to live in today's age. Um, and so facing those challenges um, and opening it up to a nonprofit has given us the opportunity to more funding and to help make this more of a sustainable option for our community for years to come. Yeah. All right, Jamie Wood, wrap us up with uh, the next cohort opening for Thrive, perhaps, or any uh, final thoughts on how business owners and, you know, would-be would entrepreneurs can start getting the training that they need. For anybody thinking about starting or growing a business, SBA is a great first start point. Uh, you can find information out simply by going to sba.gov, G-O-V, on, uh, and SBA is for Small Business Administration, so sba.gov. And uh, there's, there's so much information for training and uh, counseling, free counseling. There's every type of industry is served by the SBA resources. There's a big network across every state and territory for the U.S. So what you get uh, in South Dakota is available also in the other states and vice versa. And then also for the Thrive CEO leadership, uh, we do plan to offer another cohort. It's going to be in Sioux Falls. 
again this year, and uh, we'll have the applications opening, <clears throat> excuse me, probably uh, in a few weeks. I would say by, uh, you know, end of March or April, we'll see that window open, and the cohort would start again midsummer from July, go through through December. So we hope that people will consider taking that. But uh, just get started by going to SBA.gov. We do have a website, sba.gov slash South Dakota, all one word. That gets you a little bit closer to the local resources. But we're here to serve you, and we look forward to continuing to help business owners achieve their dreams of business ownership. All right. Jamie Wood is the South Dakota District Director of the Small Business Association. Emily Moser owns and operates River's Edge Learning Center. That is in Mowbridge. And Alan Harmon is operating out of Mission, South Dakota, in Rosebud and owns RHL Inc. with her sister, Ellen. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Emily, thank you. Jamie, thanks. On South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lori Walsh. When Governor Kristi Noem delivered her State of the State address last month, a junior high school student from Prussia was in the audience at the Capitol building. Melina Shields is statewide president of JAG-SD. Governor Noem asked her to stand up, and lawmakers cheered to celebrate her success, and we all said, we need to get to know Melina. And now she is here with us on In the Moment. Welcome to In the Moment. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. What was that like for you to sort of hang out with all the lawmakers and peer? <laughs> um, it was actually quite a dream. It's something I actually want to be in the future. So hanging out with some of my, you know, people I idolize was quite, quite breathtaking. I wanted to get to that because there was a little nod to, you know, perhaps we're speaking to a a future governor or a future legislator or a future congresswoman. And tell me a little bit about, let's start, well, let's go back a little bit and talk about JAG. And then we'll get into how this has sort of helped you, you know, solidify some of the things that you might like to do in the future. For people who don't know what uh, JAG is, help us understand it. So JAG stands for Jobs for America's Graduates. It's a nonprofit organization where it empowers students with the skills and support to succeed in education, employment, and even life. So technically it's like a class that you take that helps you improve your graduation rate and learn about colleges and jobs and just the real world stuff. Yeah. All right. So I'd never heard of it before. Is it new? Is it something that just doesn't maybe get the attention that it deserves? So it is not really new. It's been around for 40 years nationwide, but in South Dakota, it has been around for 15 years. And it is just now kind of starting to like creep out of the shadows where we're improving and getting more schools involved in it. So, you know, it's, it's, nobody's really heard of it any, like, yeah, recently, but recently we've, we've had people come up to us and be like, I've heard about JAG and, you know, it's something that we look forward to. That's what we're building towards. Yeah. This is something that you are a part of. So tell me a little bit about your own journey with JAG and how it helped you find, you know, the civics and, and political science uh, interests that you have today. Yeah. So um, I joined JAG my freshman year and I am a junior at Lyman so this was our first year when I was a freshman it was our first year that JAG was introduced and um I wasn't really 
excited about it. I it was something new, and I wasn't. I don't like new things. I was always growing up being a really quiet girl, and so trying something new was really scary for me. Yeah. But it was from my 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 English teacher in middle school taught was teaching it. So I was like, let's give it a shot. But um, I've really grown from it. It's taught me a lot that I didn't know. And I probably wouldn't know if I didn't, wasn't in the class. Yeah. Um, my sophomore year in 2022, I got kind of invited to go to the National Student Leadership Academy in Washington, DC. And that's kind of when I really like, grew and learned about what JAG was and what it meant to be a part of JAG and there are like so many there's about like 40 states that are in JAG and getting to go to a national convention about it and seeing other kids who had such a passion for it it, it really brought me to like together with it and like made me passionate about it. Yeah tell me a little bit about some of the the coursework or the learning the classes um, what sorts of things did you start to learn that maybe you hadn't been introduced to before? So there's a lot of things. Um, some, mostly everything from adult life. So currently we are learning about resumes and job applications. Mm -hmm. And then we're also learning to write our own cover letters. Um, my freshman year, I never knew how to write a check or I didn't really even know what a check was. All I knew is you wrote it on a piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, we learned how to make our own checkbooks and write down our own checks. And we kind of learned how to manage our money. We have different um, modules and classwork where maybe it's from learning to manage our own money to maybe writing a letter to somebody that you appreciate one day and giving them a gratitude mm -hmm. um, letter. And I think I think there's there's a lot that JAG covers that other classes don't. So. Yeah. Are there community partners? Are there businesses that are, because as you're talking and, and I'm looking at the information on JAG, there is a lot of, you know, connectivity that employers want students and, you know, to graduate with certain skills, to, to bring those leadership skills into the workforce. Because if you can manage your personal money, then you can manage my budget that I'm going to give you, you know, as an employer. Tell me a little bit about, you know, some of those partners from businesses and what you know about that as it relates to JAG. So if, um, if people like look on the JAG website, we have a lot of sponsors and stuff. There's mm -hmm. Hallmark, Microsoft, um, I like the hotel, Honeywell, uh, healthcare, most most companies sponsor JAG is because they want these kids to graduate and they want them to go into a career and maybe, you know, like maybe some kid wants to graduate and go into nursing. You know, healthcare, H, um, HCA would sponsor them. And it's like they're telling them to like, you know, like kind of encouraging them. Yeah. It's and yeah, it's a it's a really great program to sponsor. So I'm thinking, OK, you're a junior now, which means uh, during the height of the pandemic, you're in, you know, that middle school to high school transition range. Am I doing uh, math quickly? Yep. <laughs> so yes. what was that time like for you? Because that was a disruption that I'm not sure anybody had imagined. And it's affected your life um, more than it probably affected mine. 
Um, and yeah. so w- take me back a little bit to what it was like during that time and some of your, you know, doubts and fears and how you're feeling today as we've come out of the worst part of that pandemic. I think so. The pandemic was hard for all of us, but for students and young adults growing up in it and experiencing it was probably a lot harder than some people realize. Yeah. Um, it was it was kind of at the peak of our like learning. So I was a middle schooler. I think I was a seventh and eighth grader when mm. the pandemic hit. And to be honest with you, it was such a scary experience. Mm. It doesn't seem like it now, but it was at the time because everything was new. We learned from computers. We learned from our phones. And it was kind of like nobody knew what was going on. So it kind of went down to a failing rate. I think maybe if like we didn't, we didn't get on the right track. I probably would have failed my wow. that grade yeah. because I was just like so stressed out about like what's gonna happen in the future. Are we gonna keep being in a pandemic? You know, it's it's a scary thing to realize, especially when you're young like that. Yeah, and you know that you have your whole life ahead of you. Yeah, you didn't let those challenges stop you. I'm sure you had a lot of support in that, but. Beyond, um, you know, talking about the support you might have gotten from teachers, like what did you pull up from yourself and your friends? Like what did you find was sort of hidden inside of you that demonstrated your own resilience or, you know, with your peers? So I've kind of grown up in like a a family where they never made it past high school. And I've always kept that in my mind where I, I always used to tell myself, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to change that, that loop. So I've always like gotten myself up and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to become something of myself. I'm going to graduate and I'm going to show the world Melina Shields. I'm going to show them who I am. And I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to just yell, you know, I want to make, I want to make a difference in the world. And there's small bumps in the road. Like this COVID was a big bump but I got past it and I learned resilience from it and I learned how to grow from it. Yeah. All right. So, so many times on this show, I have adults and policymakers saying, we want to keep our best and brightest South Dakota graduates in the state, you know, whether they want to go into law or politics or teaching or healthcare or industry of any kind, we want them to stay here. Help me understand um, from your perspective, what makes a student like you want to leave the state of South Dakota and what makes you want to stay and do your best work right here at home at some in in somewhere in the state? So uh, a lot of kids, it's kind of 50 50. A lot of kids want to leave and a lot of kids want to stay. I think if as a student, if you want to leave, you want to, you know, there's a lot bigger places than just South Dakota where yeah. you can make an impact. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest, you know, reason why. Um, and, you know, I kind of want to do both. Me personally, I want to leave and go to college somewhere out of state and, you know, learn all I can from different experiences yeah. out in different states. And then I want to come back and I want to take those experiences and implement them into my own state and represent South Dakota. Yeah. So that's kind of, and like people want to stay in South Dakota because they just, it's, it's where they grew up. It's where they find home and it's where they want to represent 24 seven. 
All right. If you're just tuning in, we have been talking to Melina Shields. You might have seen her at the Governor Christy Noem State of the State Address. She was in the gallery, and she stood up for recognition from all the lawmakers and the governor. And the governor even mentioned that maybe in the future we might be uh, seeing this uh, person again in Pierre or in Washington uh, as, a, as a community leader and a, a civics and, and political leader. Um, she is the statewide president of JAG SD, and we're going to put some links up to the JAG program on our website. So if you have a school that wants to learn more about it or connect with Melina, um, you'll be able to do that. Melina Shields, um, you are just a wonderful person to talk to and a great young leader in the state. So yeah. you're welcome to come back here on the show anytime to uh, talk about topics that uh, involve JAG and the work that you're doing or uh, something else that you're interested in. So the invitation is open. Thanks thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll see you next time. That is our show for today. We hope that it served you. I got uh, pretty excited talking to our guests today, so I didn't get to play that fresh tracks for you. We're going to put that up on our website at sdpb.org slash music, which is where you can find all the fresh tracks and the great music from 2023. But thank you so much to our guests today for bringing their stories and their lives to the radio here with us as we make this big old table in South Dakota and gather around it. In the Moment is produced by the great Ari Youngeman and Ellen Kester, our producers. Our executive producer is Kara Hetland. Our videographer, Jordan Henderson. Our news director is Josh Chilson. And our wonderful engineer, Colton Nicholson. Thank you guys all for a great week. Have a great weekend. And thank you for listening. <laughs>